Everyone and welcome to the Monday Lorians, where we have a casual chat about Star Wars over a cup of Jawa juice to brighten up your week. Here we discuss the stories, themes, characters, and our own personal experiences from a galaxy far, far away. I'm Jake Hart. I'm David Oscar. And today we'll be discussing the latter five shorts of Visions Volume Two, which the whole series was released on May the fourth on Disney Plus. And joining us once again for this discussion, as uh, joined in part one, is Rob Ailing. How are you doing, Rob? I'm very well, thank you. It sounds like you've had quite a few too many Jawa juices already, good sir. Uh, I know, I've, I've, got, I've got it going here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can't speak today. It's a, it's, a, it's a whole thing. I was a bit thrown, I think, last time I was on. It was like, I'm Jake, and I was like, I'm David Oscar. And I sounded really formal, and which was like, hey, I'm Jake. I'm like, I'm David Oscar. And then today he said the full name. I was like, wait, well, <laughs> first name, yeah, last name. I, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Sometimes I just say my first name. Sometimes the whole name comes out. So I mean, I you got a pretty short first and last name. So you can yeah, so, it. you know, short and quick, you know, uh, just like my sex title. Hey. Um, <laughs> hey, uh, I knew Rob would appreciate that one. It's rubbing off on you, man. Title of my sex tape. What rubbing <laughs> off? Rubbing off on me? Hey, oh hey. God, here we God, go. God, I need to get a child soon, so I can, <laughs> so, I can, so I can justify these jokes. Uh, <laughs> oh God, um, Rob, how you doing uh, since we last uh, spoke to each other discussing part one of this volume? Yeah, I'm all good, man. I mean, keeping creatively busy as always. Um, yeah, just been work, work, work on my end of things, um, getting everything ready for the next productions coming up over the year. Um, got a couple of film festival stuff coming along as well. So, yeah, I'm going to be attending Wolverhampton Film Festival if anyone's around. It is film festival season. It is film festival season. And um, yeah, no, things are going good, man. Things are going good. Are you premiering anything there or, you know, showcasing anything at these festivals or is it more of a network thing for you? Um, it's a bit of both, actually. So I, I'm doing a bit of networking, but the, the short documentary I did um, in lockdown um, hands has been selected for uh, that festival and it's up for best documentary and best micro short. So uh, fingers crossed for those. Um, but at the end of the day, it's always a pleasure to be going to film festivals, especially in person again, as much as I didn't mind you know, the whole Zoom film festival stuff. It's so much better when you see the energy of people in person. And, you know, like, and I even said this to you guys um, when I, um, I mean, Jake, I'd seen you many a time before, but when I saw David in person, it was like, oh my God, I'm not actually looking at a computer screen. It's, this is so refreshing. And uh, yeah, no, it was always, you know, it's, it's so much better now to just be networking and chatting about our passion for film and TV and in this case, Star Wars in person. So yeah, it's, it's dope, man. It's dope. Nice. Yeah, I've got to say I'm I'm a big fan of uh, that short that you did, Hands. Um, has it Hands or just Hand? Hands. It's Hands, yeah. Hands, yeah. Um, yeah, it's beautiful. It's just it's, sometimes it's just crazy how much emotion and storytelling you can fit in these shorts, and I think you did a great job there. No, thank you very much, man. I really appreciate that. 
but as well, I always praise you, but I have to throw some criticism at you as well. Oh, Why is the bed still not made? It's been a week and the bed is still not made. I can see it behind him, people. <laughs> Dude, like life just gets in the way, man. You know, like um, sometimes you just, you know, you get home from a film shoot on like writing or whatever and you're just like, do you know what? Not today. Just not today, man. And play for um, Jedi Survivor instead. Yeah. I mean, I didn't want to say that, but yeah, let's be honest. I was just too We're busy. We're on a Star but... Wars podcast. Yeah, you? exactly. <laughs> and that, that was pretty much what I've been doing. And uh, no spoilers here, but I completed the main story the other day and it's great. It's really great. Yeah, I, I'm still really gutted. I don't know when I'll be able to to get the chance to play it, if I will be able to get the chance to play it. We'll see. We'll see what happens there. Uh, Dave, how about you? It's been a few weeks now since you've been on the show. Have you been? Any Star Wars encounters in life? Uh, yeah, I've been good. Uh, similar to Rob in terms of like, you know, being able to get some work done. Um, I feel like now spring has truly come and stuff like that. You know, having a spring clean of not only, you know, living quarters but also your brain in a way you're just like oh there's so many things that you have to like get done or like pile up so it's quite good in work at the moment so like getting through quite a bit of work um and sort of like prepping for the summer um so today i've had like a lot of like video editing and things like that um but we've also had a lot of live events and stuff like that which has been good and uh yeah i think it does it does feel like the entire time that like i've worked for the company i work for we've been going to live stuff um, or in-person things, but it's increased more and more ever since. And it's just so much nice. Like originally when I started there, I was doing a lot more Zoom interviews. I don't do as many now. So it is nice to see people in the flesh and go to things which like we were going to events, which was like, oh, do I wear a mask? Oh, that guy's wearing a mask. And, you know, like all these, you know, having to have COVID safety barcodes and all this kind of stuff. So yeah, it feels good in that sense. Um, Obviously, we just enjoyed the bank holiday weekend as well. So that's throwing people a bit as well, I think, in terms of having like a stable week um, or having you. Yes, yeah, yeah. And I enjoyed all of the memes that were taking place on Twitter. I know you guys mentioned the Snoke, Snoke one last time with his robes. But, um, but one which was not mentioned is when me and Rob shared a sort of like synchronized moment of where we thought the the throne room music was going to play from a new hope when some horns just went like and then it's like oh really disappointing when <laughs> you didn't get the rest of it and suddenly you know i don't know william and everyone starts marching down the <laughs> down prince, the cathedral ready to get their medals and prince harry in the the back row doing a chewbacca <laughs> In the background, <laughs> so that would have made it. Yeah, because because Harry doesn't get a medal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? That, that's oh, probably why I would have preferred. Well, I don't know about preferred. I'm not like taking sides here or anything. But maybe like Megan or someone would have been there, like Leia, like giving out some medals or something, and then I don't know Harry and whoever else would stand in as the uh, Harry's friends <laughs> would come down and receive their medals for. Uh, Taking down right wing press, I don't know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah, but I did enjoy just how it shows how our brains operate in terms of like you hear like a certain piece of music and you expect it to go into that, um, which is always fun. Um, yeah, but apart from that, 
Um, had some very a fun time looking around Chepstow Castle on the weekend as well, which was really good. And that was like when the weather was a bit clearer. I uh, got to make some paper crowns, uh, which was like a child's activity, which I'm pretty sure a lot of adults were taking part in as well. Uh, so I got to be king as well, guys. I don't know if you know, but I, I actually was... Uh, that, that coronation was... Then. Who named you king then? <laughs> <laughs> I was... Uh, I overshadowed Charles the next day. Um, and then Monday, I got to see Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which was uh, very nice because... Uh, those first two films are some of my favorite comic book films. Uh, love James Gunn as a director. Uh, very much enjoyed them as Marvel films. Lots of tears. And uh, yeah, it's, it tied in a bit with like Star Wars sort of connections and stories because me and Craig went to Swansea to see it and we didn't think like, oh, we need to see Guardians of the Galaxy in Swansea. It was the, I used to go to uni in Swansea. There's a really great breakfast place which does other food as well called Uplands Diner. So Craig loves this place as well. And uh, we drove there confidently. Like Craig was coming from Amberistwith. I was coming from uh, Chepstow. So not only are we making the effort of two cars like going there um, instead of like one, but mainly for this breakfast place because we didn't get to go there the other week when we planned. And uh, it's all raining on the Monday, etc. It's all drizzly and, and rubbish. And halfway through the journey of me driving there, I was like, it is going to be open now, isn't it? I was like, yeah, it's a bank holiday. It's a breakfast place. Everyone's going to be you know, hung over from the Sunday. That's why we know it so well, me and Craig, when I used to be a student there, that used to be like the place to go when you had a hangover. And uh, yeah, we got there and uh, they decided to give everyone a day off because of uh, the bank holiday. So it was closed. And then uh, I'm sure Craig wouldn't mind me saying that he was just really, really pissed off and sad. So then we were just walking around like Swansea trying to sort of find somewhere else to eat before we went to see Guards of the Galaxy. And it just reminded me of Revenge of the Sith when it's like drizzling with rain and it's like Coruscant when like all the thunder and lightning's going on and Darth Vader's about to be suited and booted. It just reminded me of that scene, like the music, like, oh, as if like Craig would be there, like in some sort of like casket thing, like <laughs> burnt by Upland's Diner, which wasn't open. And I was just there, like sheave in the background, my hood up, <laughs> my hands, <laughs> just trying to keep him alive through through his anger. So, uh, yeah, that, that was my Star Wars tie-in. You know, you you started off with the Guardians of the Galaxy thing, and I thought, oh, we're in the same wavelength here, and then you went into some place. You went into the darkness uh, yeah. of, uh, of Order 66 and, and Anakin being dismembered and burnt alive. Guardians and... of the Galaxy takes place in space and has loads of crazy aliens. That would have been far too obvious a choice for me to go down. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. I mean, well, no, I, I had similar things because like you, I saw Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 uh, this past week. Uh, loved it. Thought it was a great ride. Very emotional. Also a big fan of James Gunn. Um, and, uh, you know, you always kind of knew this from the first two films, but they very much are space operas, very much inspired by Star Wars. It's almost the MCU's version of Star Wars in a way. Um, but it sort of really hit as I was watching this third film how it really is playing on a lot of similar themes that Star Wars deals with. You know, connection, found family, uh, you know, looking at the past and moving forward from your past, you know, overcoming grief, loss, lots of th these different sort of themes and things in play and then also just the very thing i love about star wars and something that james gunn does a lot is when you have really sincere emotional deep moments 
and there's people talking in flesh suits at the same time. And it's, you know, it's, it's what I call the sincere versus the absurd, you know, and for some people it doesn't work, you know, it's like two very contrasting different things. And, but well, that's what I love about Star Wars. And that's kind of what I love about Guardians of the Galaxy as well, is that, you know, we're, have, we're, we're so emotionally invested in a raccoon and a tree and, uh, you know, and, and all these weird aliens and people in flesh suits with Nathan Fillion. And it's just, but at the same time, you're like, I absolutely love these people. And, but you're there as well for the whole pulpy stuff of it as well. So yeah, that, that's kind of what I thought of Star Wars uh, in my week in the sense of watching Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. So yeah, that was, it was, let's get into Visions then. Like I said, we'll be looking at the latter five shorts of volume two so uh, the first one we're going to be looking at is journey to the dark head which is produced by studio mirko limited which is based in south korea um i apologize if i butcher your name so this is written by jung se rang and directed by park hyung gyun uh, and the synopsis is a hopeful mechanic and disillusioned young jedi team up for a risky and unlikely quest to turn the tide of the galactic war but dark forces tail them uh so dave i'll actually start with you on this one considering you were not with us on part one we didn't get your thoughts on the first couple of shorts but what did you think of this one of this one kind of even though not based in japan going back to the sort of volume one sort of style of anime uh um and that sort of east uh, far eastern asian animation style so what did you think of this one uh yeah i thought this was an interesting one because like i said from the thumbnail alone or from the visuals on the posters etc you think like okay well this is can you say the most traditional visions you know in the sense that we've only had one season but because obviously all of it was anime then it you know it feels most closely connected to that season um and i think it kind of speaks to like how season two has been you know like the way the season two is kind of made season one look bad in a way because i think that season two is such a great celebration of like the world and so many cultures the fact that season one only focuses on one and a lot of them focused on a lot of the same themes and types of stories i think for me um i was a bit more like disappointed that i wasn't experiencing something like completely different i felt that this was like okay we're just revisiting this kind of stuff which again don't get me wrong you know, the visuals are very cool that, you know, there's some great stuff going on here, but I felt it was just kind of a retread of a lot of what we saw there. Not to say the South Korea is the same country as Japan, but it's just the fact that they have produced a short, which is very much along the same lines and obviously the same style as, as anime. So I think that, um, yeah, while I did enjoy like a few elements of this, I wasn't too st sure on the actual like message and theming of it as well. I was very fascinated by season two, the fact that I, I don't know if you talked about this last time, um, but the fact, and I don't know if they did this in season one, but I don't know if there was a kind of brief of like, this is what this season is about. You know, like we want you, like here's your, you know, task, you know, like the theme is this, or like the, we want these types of stories because season one obviously seemed to have a lot of like similarities in terms of like, it just seemed a given that many studios went down the line of like jedi and stuff like that because of the links of like samurai and you know like anime and you know super sentai and things like that that they would sort of follow that path but i think that um here i felt that there was a lot more about like 
bigger themes as to like, you know, light and darkness and oppression and being on the run and stuff like that. So I felt that even this one didn't fit in quite with the themes as much. And the main theme it went with was light and dark. And I'm not sure if I really agree with its messaging and the kind of like end kind of like, oh, well, that's the the kind of moral of the story. And I'm like, mm, I don't know if I like that moral. So there was some cool stuff in it. I really, you know, like liked the Sith guy. You know, you get the typical kind of like, oh, it's some cool guy without a face. And, you know, they've got this like dramatic weapon and, uh, you know, it's just very sleek and, you know, like great visuals when they're fighting. Um, I think this studio has been involved in like things like Legend of Korra, which, you know, I'm a big fan of. But I think overall this season is a bit more like studios which have involvement in American productions, which they animate, but maybe they haven't sort of like produced or made the stories themselves. So I think that in itself is quite interesting as well. So I'm, I can't be there saying like, oh, I can't believe I didn't enjoy this as much because they made Legend of Korra. So, well, they animated Legend of Korra, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they wrote Legend of Korra. So... Yeah, I think that's, you know, an interesting element. And especially to come, like, off the heels of, you know, In the Stars and I Am Your Mother. Um, and then to have, like, the Spy Dancer and the Bandits of Golak on the tail end of this. You know, I, I just felt this was more of a, a safe choice in a way. So, yeah, what wasn't as, as thrilled by this one, but it was still some fun Jedi stuff. Yeah, I would I wouldn't say I'm on your level of like unimpressed but I, I will say out of the bunch it's probably de definitely one of the lower ones that i you know sort of connected to in the sense because of what you said that okay we've got some jedi flipping around we'll flying you know doing lightsaber crazy stuff um but i did kind of like that it was a bit more restrained than some of the japanese anime style and that is sometimes where me and japanese anime uh don't agree with each other because sometimes it goes way 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 huge and big and, and sort of even for my taste a bit too op you know for some of the stuff that we saw in volume one um but i do like the animation style so as it so what i kind of liked is that mixing that sort of animation style but keeping it more refrained and focusing more on the characters and the story at play which i'm also happy to see south korea playing in Star Wars because, you know, we have beginning, beginning a bit of a South Korea, not a renaissance, but a sort of a finally coming into sort of the Western audiences and we're silently seeing how valuable the South Koreans are at storytelling and stuff like that, Korean cinema. Um, but, yeah, there was... What was it about the morals that you sort of didn't align with, Dave? Because I sort of took it as, like, very much kind of simple Star Wars... You know, you need the lights, you need the dark, sort of for for it to sort of balance it out. So I didn't sort of take it as like, oh, I don't quite agree with that. I sort of was like, oh, that's one way of taking it. Of you need to have the dark side as well as the light side, but maybe to a different extreme as I would have taken it. I would have been more like the dark side's there, but you don't tap into it. This sort of was more like you tap into both. But uh, where what sort of angle did you sort of come from, Dave? Well, I think it is because I spent like 75% of it being like, oh yeah, this is cool. And I'm glad you're, you know, commenting on this and the idea of like, you know, darkness being situated in, in some way, um, and like the light being situated in an item and, and balancing those out. Um, you know, I think, and the fact that, especially at the beginning of the story that, you know, they're, the girl is like a part of this kind of like tribe or, you know, whatever you want to call them, this collection of people who sort of you know say that like oh we only document these things and we do not influence them and we do not change them 
um which again was like you know quite interesting i thought and again like when she has like to me this was it was quite interesting that there was this was almost i think like vision season one and like we see a lot this season it's it's interesting where they pull their inspirations from because i think if you look at something like the Mandalorian or a lot of filmmakers, you know, they're like, Oh, I was so inspired by the original trilogy and from a new hope and things like that. But the anime stuff and a lot of the animation seems to be very influenced by the, actually the prequels and stuff, because it's the most, the visuals, there are the most akin to what they kind of produce traditionally. Um, and they're dealing with robots and, you know, things like that. Um, and more kind of utopian societies and kind of like darker visuals and stuff like that. So I think that, no, this was able to kind of like tap into the kind of direct kind of like Phantom Menace, Revenge of the Sith stuff of like, oh, we're actually getting the council and like, you know, like they're sent on a mission. Like this seemed the most like where's like season one and, you know, some episodes here are very loose with kind of like their kind of, I don't know how canon they, they are, I guess. And I, I don't know if you guys felt this, but season two, even when I was reading the descriptions of each one, again, seems to be more plausible that this could be canon. I think some people felt the season one was like, oh, where would this fit in, etc.? cetera? Um, because it very much was like just going against what could potentially be real in in the Star Wars universe, whereas this actually sort of played into it could plausibly happen within canon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I sort of saw this as like kind of like Old Republic in a way because they were talking about the Sith Wars and I exactly, thought, well, yeah. that, that could very much be, you know, thousands of years before Phantom Yeah, Minutes. like if you look at each description of each episode, it literally like start like, I don't think on Disney Plus, but I think on um, like Wiki or something like that. It's like in the time just after the Sith Wars, in the time of the Empire and all of them are like titled with like the era that they're in. So they're all like plausible eras. So again, I think season one was a bit more loose with that and a bit more like kind of like, yeah, and this is a bunch of Jedi and this person's like hunting them. Um, and, but it's also Empire times, but it's also this, it's also that. Um, so I think the fact that they were using the council and stuff like that, there seemed to be some commentary again on the kind of like influence of the dark side and like, you know, like war and all that kind of stuff. And I think by the end, it was just the fact that obviously the character the character who's fighting the sith has this like struggle because he's fighting off the darkness within himself and everything like that but i think it's just the fact that then his conclusion at the end especially with the girl to just sort of say like oh well conflict and war will always happen and like that and that we must just ride the waves that it goes along with and i think you're right jake like you know there must be balance and you must accept the light and the dark but some people, I think, so over time have kind of like taken different readings from that. And I kind of was the same in which like, well, what does it mean by balance? What 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 do you mean? And when I've sort of watched videos and things that have sort of discussed that, I think the ones that I, I've most gravitated towards and think make the most sense, and as we've seen by things like the Mortis arc and stuff like that, is that like balance seems to be in the sense of like it's an overarching lightness but you need still like an element of the dark to remind us about like why good or light is important. Um, and that, you know, you can't live in like a perfect society, etc. So the, the, the suggestion of like, Oh, well, it'll always be 50, 50 and there will always be war and there will always be conflict. I just found a bit again of like sad. I was a bit like, really, you know, and again, it, it spoke to the idea that I said, I have problems with the Mandalorian and stuff. The fact that like, yeah, Return of the Jedi, you know, balance to the Force, you know, we defeated the Empire. Oh, it happens again, you know, and then like, oh, and then that political system is just as corrupt as the last one. You know, I'm like, 
I like the idea that there's always some hope or there's some kind of like we've improved society, especially in the times we're living in now in which there's like horrible dictators and evil people out there. And the idea of us just staying the same rut is just like we will always have war. And I, I just don't like that kind of concept. Yeah, I'm with you. And, and, and I wonder if it's if it's a taste thing or if it's a culture perspective thing. You know, because this story is told from the lens of people from Korea, uh, so I, I, uh, there is an element I am wondering, and I will never know unless I actually speak to someone from South Korea, of like truly understanding their philosophy on balance, you know, of light and darkness. So, yeah, I'm with you, Dave. It, the sort of moral I got from it is like, oh, it's just fifty-fifty, and you have to kind of just accept it. And I was like, well, that's for for me, that's not what the balance that George Lucas set in place in the original films. And I think what this short also suffers from in terms of uh, narrative and character development is that I like both of these main characters, but I almost felt as if this story they were trying to tell was too big for this short. So, and I, and I felt as if either focus on one of these characters uh, because the other one was taking up, I think, valuable space of developing their character and their motivations. So like with the girl at the beginning, I, like you, Dave, I thought it was, that was really interesting, you know, of like her in that sort of temple thing. And then the old guy saying like, you mistake this for being a Jedi temple. We are just recorders of history. And I thought, whoa, wow, are we going to get more into that? And she's saying we need to fight and stuff. But then it sort of just changes perspective into the Jedi. And I thought, okay. And then we go back to her in the Jedi council. And I was a bit confused of like, who are we actually following here? Whose story is this? Mm. And who is she? She's not even a Jedi by the sense. Of yeah. So, and while I liked everything I, I saw in terms of the visuals, beautifully animated, lightsaber fights are really cool. The villain's a cool looking villain. He's got that scorpion <laughs> whip, um, thing, yeah. whip thing, which is really cool to see. Um, yeah, I was just struggling a bit in terms of like the narrative. So yeah, uh, this one and, and another one, the only ones I sort of like, eh, I'm not so, sh not, a, not that I disliked them. I wasn't as sure on them uh, compared to the others. Rob, what did you think of this one? If I'm completely honest, I don't think there's much more to be said. I think you guys have pretty much hit the nail on the head of everything that this episode... Oh, sorry. No, 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 not at all, not at all. I mean, the only thing that I can really add to this is... I mean, look, I'll start off quickly with the positives. I mean, it's already been mentioned, but I just throw in my two cents as well, which is I do think this was actually probably the most polished out of all of the Star Wars Visions episodes. And it's not to say that the stop motion... Um, in terms of animation? Yeah, in terms of yeah. animation. I think this one clearly had maybe more budget as well. I think it's probably fair to say as well. It looked the more polished it had. I mean, in terms of the cinematography within itself, because a lot of people tend to forget that there is cinematography in play within animation as well. But a lot of people just assume, oh, they're just drawing and it's like, and then they do it in the edit. No, 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 no. We, you know, we do much more than just draw like as if the camera's moving with it it's you know it's a bit of both you know it's a marriage between the two but we'll come back to that in the spy dancer in uh, which will come up next but um with this one um it, the reason why it suffers the most is because we saw it in episode one of visions already and it did such a better job and you guys highlighted already why this episode kind of feels almost you know almost in the safe zone because it's trying to fit in within the mythology and the canon of Star Wars, but also try and do its own thing. Now, the dreaded question that 
every filmmaker is always told whenever they get feedback for stuff, whether it's in script form or in the complete form, which is, what do you want to say? And I, I think if you were to address that to the filmmakers with this one, there would be, well, it's also this with this and this, and it would tie in with this and this and this and this and this. And you'd be like, bro, just tell me simply, what what is it? You know, tell me, and, and you know, I can say to you what the first episode was, which was we paint our own destiny. You know, that I can sum up in a sentence there. Can I do that with this one? Maybe just about, which is light and dark will always coexist. You know, that that's probably the best sentence I can come up with. But having said that, does this do anything new to what we've already seen in not just Star Wars films or TV shows, but in the visions? If we're talking strictly on visions episodes, not really. And if the only thing that they can produce is really fantastic fight sequences with excellent cinematography, because again, I have to stress that point of the cinematography within the animation part, because there are moments where the camera is literally starting from a low angle to then a close up and pushing in on those reactions there. It's really powerful and it's really difficult to do. So the one thing you cannot take away from this is that it's a really well-crafted piece of animation. And I think on the flip side of it, it's it's the classic case of maybe too many cooks in the kitchen trying to say too much in a too short space of time, which I think is ironic because I think this is one of the longest ones as well. So on the one hand, I really appreciated what it was trying to do. And I think the messages it's trying to say, whatever the, the central message is, um, can be really powerful. But if all they're going for is that there will always be conflict, especially during wars, and that wars will never truly end, which in some ways is possibly true, um, but there will always be hope by the end of it all, that is most certainly true. So if those are the messages it really wants to bring across, then in that case it has succeeded. But overall, by the end of this, um, yeah, by the end of this short film, I was saying to myself, what do you want to say, bro? What do you really want to say? But that's the thing. Like w when I get the theme of hope at the end, I, I get, you know, th for me, the idea of hope is for a better tomorrow, you know? Um, yeah. And I didn't quite get that vibe. Like, yeah, they kind of mentioned hope at the end, but it didn't have the same effect. Or it didn't feel like the same type of hope that we're talking about here, you know? Uh, but Rob, yeah, any last things to say about this one then before we move on? No, like I said, man, I think you guys really covered it very well. And um, all I could say was yes. <laughs> and um, But yeah, but also, um, like I said, um, I think fundamentally the question of, if it had a central focus of theme, I think it would be a much stronger episode. But because it is trying to do a lot in the space of an X amount of time, I think it just, you know, it got a little overcooked. Let's put it mm. that way. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. Uh, Rob, since we stole all your glory in the last one, uh, I'll start with you. So <laughs> the, mm -hmm. the next one is The Spy Dancer, which is produced by Studio La Cachette, uh, which is based in France, uh, written by Julian Sheng and Gabriel de Andrimont, and directed by Julian Sheng. Uh, so the premier dancer at a famous imperial frequented cabernet uses her unique skill set to spy for the rebellion, but the presence of a mysterious officer threatens to derail her mission. Uh, so yeah, once again, sorry if I butchered your names out there, French uh, people and French speakers. 
Uh, but Rob, what did you think of the Spy Dancer? So as soon as this was announced at the um, Star Wars Visions panel about what the story was and what they were planning to do, I was already kind of sold on the idea. I loved the fact that they wanted to um, harken back to a time and where, you know, it's actually about the soldiers having a day off. I love that notion of, you know, that they're going to a club, they're going to like this. I think in reality it was pr probably a bit more exotic, but the the uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah let's, and let's a bit be more honest. grimy. I yeah, would say exa as well. <laughs> exactly. Um, but to see um, the, the this particular episode um, done in such an elegant, slick design, I think was very fitting um, with the story that it wanted to tell. Now, having said that. One of my, I, I, this is probably the only time I'm ever going to gripe ever so slightly on animation, but I feel like I'm a little bit qualified to do so. So please forgive me um, in advance. But I mean this with the utmost respect. Um, when I was watching it, um, I did feel like at times I was, I was watching more of an animatic than an animation. And the reason why I say that is because fundamentally what they're doing is reducing the time down. So they are playing with less frame rate and they're using, you know how I mentioned before about the cinematography actually, you know, playing within the visuals this time around. Here it almost felt like as if they were kind of just zooming in on certain frames. And that, to me, I've always found to be a very um, problematic thing in animation because it's very much a safety zone uh, in that regard. Having said that, what they are doing is keeping the the design slick enough to a point where um, they can capitalize on what this studio is best known for, which is their action set pieces. And by God, these action set pieces are fantastic. Like they are Star Wars, but they're also completely unique within the Star Wars, you know, within this Star Wars Visions episode. Like um, I never thought I'd see a dress being implemented into a fight scene, for example. I never thought I'd um, see a composer smoking a pipe and composing the music of the fight scene at the same time. It's my favorite character of the show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just, I thought that was, and the fact that he gets to say the infamous, I've got a bad feeling about this. Brilliant. Love that. Yeah. Chef's kiss and, you know, pipe in, you know, pipe in mouth, whatever. Um, this was a much darker episode than I thought it was going to go down. Um, but the problem I think it does suffer the most um, for me personally was I did see the twist coming and I won't mention it unle uh, unless you guys decide to mention what the twist is. We're, we're talking spoilers here. Yeah. So I wasn't surprised when the initial twist came in because um, ultimately the animation kind of gave it away. So you saw the back of the person's head and you see the flashback and you're like, well, that's clearly not that person that we're supposed to meant to believe it is. Um but then it didn't take away from the fact that you do feel that gut punch at the end of this piece as well. And yeah, um, it's not often that I get distracted by that twist moment, but that really did take me out a little bit by the end going, oh, but then that moment when she gives um, him the, the hologram of him as a baby, I was like, okay, now you've brought it back. Now you've brought it back to a point where it's like, this is really honing into what Star Wars is known for doing as well, which is harken it back to the choices we make and sometimes the choices we don't have, which, and I, and again, when I say earlier that um, 
this was a much darker episode than I thought it was initially going down. And I think one of the things I have to really commend with Vision Season 2 is that ultimately they have they have taken darker themes and they've gone for it. And I'd much rather that they did that rather than playing it safe, like we'd mentioned with the last episode, um, Journey to the Dark Head. But I also appreciated the fact that they upped the violence a little bit more. Not to say that this was a very graphic episode, but the last episode in particular had stabbings and shootings and stuff like that. It had blood as well. Yeah, it had some blood. And we had a little bit of blood within this one, but the the notion that, you know, kidnapping children and, you know, turning them against their own kind and literally cutting off their own heritage is... I mean, I can't remember if I'm allowed to swear, but it's brutal. <laughs> it is absolutely brutal. And it's a difficult theme... Uh, to deal with, but this episode managed to do it with elegance, grace, simplicity in its design, and it was able to accommodate that with really terrific action set pieces. So for me, I thought the Spy Dancer is one of the most unique Star Wars stories I've seen and envisions in particular. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say for me, this was one where I struggled with um, and I mainly struggled with with the animation style. Um, there was just something aesthetically about it that, you know, for my eyes and my taste, it just wasn't drawing me in. It wasn't pleasing to me in a sense. Uh, certain aspects of it, when she first started doing the dance, I was like, oh, okay, this is very nice. And with the movement of the fabrics and stuff like that. But I just couldn't get into it. You know mm. what I mean? Like, you know, and I, I think that's sometimes what, you know, what I bang on about sometimes of telling people you need to try animation, you know, give animation a chance. Absolutely. And it's easier said than done because even as a big animation fan myself, there's certain styles of animation that if the visuals are not gelling with me, it's very hard for me to then get into the story. Um, so I did struggle with the sort of definitely the first half of this. Uh, but then once it started getting into more the action sort of set pieces uh, post the first sort of dance where she's throwing all like the tracking devices and stuff like that, that's when I started to get a bit more intrigued when she sort of spotted the guy and the thing and they had that sort of flashback because uh, that's when I actually thought some of the real story of uh, of what they were trying to say about, you know, again, stories of colonialism uh, about you know cult ripping away culture fam being separated families and stuff like that um especially re very relevant if you're talking about this studio which is based in france you know france has a lot of history in regards to revolutions and things like that um and also we have here in the uk obviously a very close relationship with france because we share the, the you know the english channel and we're getting a lot of issues now about separated families about immigrants crossing the border and stuff like that um, a lot of real world issues, which I think they're kind of addressing in here. However, I I still think some of the narrative beats, I was like, I can kind of see where this is going anyway. I, I do agree with you, Rob. I think the end is very moving, very touching, where she leaves him, you know, that the, the hollow cam thing. But I kind of was like, I can kind of see where this is going. And... And, you know, it, it might be a bit unfair on the actual short itself. That's just me. But, you know, I... I it was hard for me to overcome the an animation style for me to get fully into this short, personally. But that's what I mean when I was saying before about I think there were certain limitations that they had, I think. And th this may be down to a budget thing as well, because if I'm completely honest, the one thing I would really nitpick is 
Those stormtroopers don't look good. Those stormtroopers, they looked far, far too simplistic in design. And look, they are really detailed in hel in their helmets and everything else, right? And beautiful design, but you wouldn't be able to say they were in this. But that's the thing, because I thought actually the Imperial officer, who her son, yeah. looked pretty cool. Yeah, he did. You know, he, he, yeah. he, he had a pretty cool design with the cape and, you know, the, the cane sword and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, I agree. The stormtroopers, they just just looked weird you know i, I just didn't kind of gel with it but um uh dave am i talking rubbish or, or where's your head at on this one yeah i find it interesting when we're talking about like animation styles and stuff like that because i think that as i mentioned before you know a lot of that can be like how people interact with stuff laura was saying last time that she doesn't gel all that much with anime which is also understandable and that can have many different types and i think even though I said with the last episode, I didn't personally connect with that style. It wasn't the like, I found it off-putting. I did find it still very beautiful, etc. But I think what's important to me when you have different styles of animation is how does this story and what the, the message you're trying to say um, and the entire plot and the voices and everything, how does that complement the style that you're telling? What What is the purpose of this style? You know, when you look at like, children's animation for example or batman the animated series which i'm sure you guys would appreciate is that you know the, never heard of it <laughs> the, the dark noir sort of look is there to complement the kind of like dark story that they're telling so i think that when something takes a more cartoony approach like adventure time or something like that with like you know kids animation you know it, it's there to serve a purpose and it's there for a certain reason and i think especially when you look at certain children's animation if it's done in a kind of more I'm not going to use something like obvious like Peppa Pig because in a way that's like a very cheap Venus and sort of Ferb. Like... <laughs> well, no, no. I'm thinking more like back in the day when there was sort of like more watery color looking like animations in which it's done in a kind of like simplistic storybook way for a child to kind of like understand or feel as if it's something that they're reading from a book, etc. So I think that to me, this reminded me a bit of um, Ernest and Celestine. I don't know if you know that animation, Rob, the like yeah. French animation. So... And that's why I felt like, oh, this is so French, you know, like this is like typical of that country. Um, so I was kind of really on board with this straight away. Um, and I was trying, as you guys were talking, I was like, have I ever disliked a form of animation, like in terms of a style of animation and actually not been able to get on board with it? And I was struggling to think of an example. I was like, no, you know what? I don't think I can think of one because I always appreciate something which is like, bold or like you know is at least taking the chance usually when i have problems with stuff it's like when it's being derivative um but then i did think of one example which is star wars rebels of all things which is a star wars project which i don't like the animation style of very much i'm also not a big fan of mm, i'm a bit 50 50 on that uh what if style in marvel which kind of is almost a similar style in resistance star wars so those three disney slash star wars projects i'm not a big fan of but i think those are a bit different because they're kind of telling like a more canon storyline um and also coming off the back of other animated projects but the stormtroopers are what made me think of that like i don't think the stormtroopers look very good in rebels whereas here i was more willing i was more on board with it because i felt that it fit the entire st style i felt i feel in rebels it's a kind of weird mishmash and they're trying to do something and then the characters don't quite fit the style here i felt that, like the fact that they were these like pudgy round stormtroopers felt like they were from like a kind of storybook in which like everything was of that style 
So I kind of, I was just kind of like on board with it. Yes, it wasn't the most dynamic or like action feeling, so like st- stormtroopers, but I felt it kind of fitted within the world. So this for me is kind of like what I enjoy most about Visions, and it goes against what I was saying with the last episode of like playing it more safe. I think that what I want from something like this is to feel like and watch it and be like, oh, this isn't Star Wars. I think like Star Wars and Star Wars animation is at its best when it's challenging you about what Star Wars is, which is what I just mentioned. Like, what is Star Wars? This is the essence of Star Wars, which I don't really agree with because again, like, you know, when I think of my experiences with Star Wars, when I've like watched certain things and I'm like, oh, this is different. I don't like this. This doesn't feel right. And then the more I let it digest or the more I like hear like the reasons for it, et cetera, et cetera. Then the more I'm like, oh, okay, maybe it is like the Mortis arc, like I mentioned earlier, that like took ages to get my head around. Like, what the hell's going on here? You know, there's like griffins and all sorts of like, you know, like winged creatures and stuff like that. Um, You know, similar with Zero the Hut, <laughs> you know, like in which Lucas thought that was a great idea. And I'm like, what? And then like later on, I was like, okay, maybe I can see where you're going. So I think that this to me speaks to that element of like what other shorts in this have done, I think as well as we'll get on to is that I think that it is important to be like, this is our animation style. This is our country. This is our culture with a bit of Star Wars peppered in, you know, rather than it feel just purely like it's a canon storyline. I think this is a lot more interesting to like show like influences of Star Wars to show something quite like visually different. So I, I quite like that aspect. And I felt that yes, like the, the animation style really complemented the action. Um, I loved like a lot of the visuals, the way like his sword come out of her like arm. I think it's true that obviously like the idea of rebellion very much speaks to like, you know, the French uh, sort of like style of, you know, and or um, I don't know why you want to call it the Viva spirit, la the French spirit. Yes. Um, and I liked that also it was kind of taking his time to sort of establish that story. You know, Star Wars can sometimes be very much like, right, we're in and now there's like stormtroopers. Now there's a monster coming out of the sea, blah, 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 blah. Here, you know, like, no, we start off and like she's talking with her friend and you get like the relationship with the other performers, etc. I liked that we were getting time to sort of build this world. And I liked as well, unlike season one, it wasn't another Jedi story. And again, I think that was the only thing with the last episode as well. And I think this season's done a lot better job of not just being every episode is a Jedi story. I think a lot of them still tap into like things like the Force and crystals and stuff like that. But I really like the fact that this is one of like the first and only ones we've had, which is like zero, nothing to do with the Force at all, which I really appreciated because I think Star Wars has so many aspects and as somebody who loves the Force and Jedi and stuff like that, I did feel a bit burned out by it in season one. And I think that like animators and different cultures would... would relate to so many other parts of Star Wars. I'm surprised that we haven't had like a space episode, like a, a one about ships and stuff like that. I guess we have had the Ardman one with the pilot, but yeah, I, I really appreciated that this was about something different in terms of like espionage and, you know, like taking down the empire and, and doing it through a very kind of like what is like a World War II-esque story of like, oh, the undercover like dancer and stuff like that. I just thought that that was a really interesting approach. And it very much reminded me, again, I said that the studio that animated Legend of Korra, this reminded me of Legend of Korra and more actually probably of Avatar, The Last Airbender, because there's a storyline in that which is very similar to this in this idea of revenge. And again, that invoked to me the ideas of Star Wars is like 
when revenge takes over the fact that like when she's ringing her friend i loved that fact that he was like what are you doing you're gonna ruin everything and she's just like yes but i have to take this moment and i love that element that like you could set up like 30 years of something and everything could be planned to perfection but then that just one thing that would trigger somebody and their lust for revenge could ruin everything and that very much is a star wars thing as seen with anakin is just that selfishness to try and do what they want or to get what they want jeopardizes everything because ultimately they're doing it for selfish reasons yeah no i i would i would agree with everything that you said i for me the problems i have with this short is not the problems with the short it's the pro it's i have problems you know you know but it's true it's it's hurdles that i need to get over there's nothing wrong with what they're doing it's more of a taste thing or something that i just need to you know, anyway, train myself. You know, I, I am open to watching this short because I watched it twice. You know, first the when I when the series dropped and another time, you know, preparing for this show. Um and I'm willing to give it more watches for me to sort of get into it. You know, because there is definitely moments about it that I do love, especially what you were saying, Dave, that element of, you know, the espionage spy stuff and sort of some of the sort of shots, frames you could say, of like especially love that shot of when she comes behind her imperial son and the dagger thing comes out, all it's like kind of slow motion. I, I thought it was really beautiful. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, it, it's more my issues that I have to overcome than in any actual issues with the short itself. Before we move on then, do you have anything to uh, anything less to say about the spy dancer? I mean, for me, I, I think it's, um, it's not to say, uh, well, I think it is to say that both myself and Dave feel like we're on the same page of, you know, this is a story told in a certain way, certain aesthetic, which may not be pleasing to everybody, but actually, and it is somewhat predictable, yes, but I think if you can, you know, get around that little notion there of the predictability of the storytelling, I think you'll find something really unique within this. And um, as David also said as well, that, um, you know, this is not about the force necessarily. This is actually about fighting for for the right to survive but also um the the question of revenge and um eventually as it's flipped on itself fighting for your family again even if they are too far long gone but by the end and i do i do love that ending actually because we spoke in the last episode about um as in the last podcast episode about the the idea of you know these stories could continue in you know I love the ending where you've got the tracker on, on the actual um, um, picture, the um, hologram of her, her baby son. And it's, you know, she still hasn't given up on her son. And I think there's a remarkable message there at the end there because, um, and this is something that the Star Wars movies, especially the sequel trilogy, um, uh, as you know, yeah, no, the sequel trilogy and the original trilogy, which is, I can't give up hope knowing that there's still some good in someone, you know, and that's 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 really sweet to see, even if it's just a glimmer of light, a glimmer of hope in that moment. <laughs> the prequels, meanwhile, Obi Wan's like, "You are my brother. I've given up on you." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to say it. I didn't want to say it, but he just he was like, "I've cut your legs off. I've cut your arm off." Prequels are a bit bad. Bring it back. Anakin has <laughs> yeah. joined the dark side. He's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. more machine now than man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Exactly. <laughs> anyway, uh, so yeah, let's move on to uh, short number seven, which is The Bandits of Golact, which is produced by 88 Pictures, based in India. And this one is written and directed by Ishan Shukla. Uh, and the synopsis is, fleeing from their village by train and pursued by ferocious imperial forces, a boy and his force-sensitive younger sister seek refuge in a vibrant and dangerous Daba. So... Rob, I'm definitely going to go to you on this one first because we were at, uh, like we mentioned in the last episode, we were at the Visions 2 panel. Um, and I, I, as I said in the last episode, it was incredibly rewarding to hear from all the creators before actually watching all these shorts because you, because you did kind of get a vibe of where they were coming from, their insights, their perspectives, what their culture means to them and all that sort of stuff. Um but one of the highlights for me was hearing from 88 Pictures um, and their representative. Was it the writing director or was it? I can't remember if it was. I believe him it was or actually, the executive producer. It was the executive producer because I think. Producer, yeah. Who, I, I believe the one of the direct. I think it was the director. They had either just become a. You know, they just started a family and they couldn't get the time to come down. I think it was initially the reason why. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. but yeah but I believe the executive producer developed the short and then that's right the, yeah. um, um, and then Ishan Shukla uh, like actually wrote out the story and, and directed it but yeah I, I think why I kind of really wanted to hear your perspective Rob is because you know you held my hand uh, at I a couple did. of those when they were talking <laughs> and they showed and, and they showed some of those images and you know you got quite emotional oh, and, and for man. me it, it kind of and for me that is that is what's important about this concept of visions it, it's it's giving a voice to the voiceless as you said elo eloquently last week rob hearing from these people from different cultures and for me to like sort of firsthand witness that what it means to you you know you coming from a different culture than from me or dave and you can totally relate to this culture unlike we can it's it's heartwarming to see you know and and, and I've kind of been in a privileged way of like, I've always kind of seen people in Star Wars that look like me and I can relate to. Um, for you to actually actually now see people who look like you in Star Wars and share a similar culture, um, it fills me with joy that other people can can have that now. Uh, so what did you think of the bandits of Golak? This is what Star Wars is about to me. Um, this is what Star Wars Visions is all about. And as you mentioned already, I did say it was about giving a voice to the voiceless, or in this case, most definitely it is giving a voice to the underrepresented, especially within Star Wars. I mean, um, I thought the Bandits of Golak was, from start to finish, beautiful. I thought it was vibrant. I thought it was as the executive producer said on stage, like uh, an Indiana Jones adventure with, with lightsabers. And I, and I found that really a, a really nice way of putting it, but almost underselling what this short really did as well. And it almost felt like watching a lost episode of say the clone wars or the bad batch and i think that's mainly the reason why i say that is because there have been like standalone episodes of those series where they will focus on another journey entirely and then they will come back to our characters that we know and love generally speaking and and i also think it's because of the the style of animation that they've got within this as well it's very similar in terms of the textures that they've got and the style 
um, of computer-generated anim uh, animation as well. And I loved also, and it's just the smallest detail um, that you'll probably have noticed as well, but the textures of a painting of where the brush strokes are on the clothes, I think is just a wonderful, wonderful touch there. Um, I love the fact that the rebels themselves were very much like almost um, a rebellious um, like army within themselves, separate from the kind of rebellion, but they're, you know, they're my, you know, they're, they're part of my culture, you know, something you'd see back in, say, uh, the 1940s, where they were on horseback, you know, fighting for, you know, during the war. And I just thought that was a really amazing touch. Um, I loved the, the sense of humor that this um, short brought about. All this for a bunch of sweets? I loved that. I absolutely loved that. I loved um, the music. I loved the fact that the music was so um, loud and expressive and it was, it was giving that voice even further. You know, it was being performed literally live and it was like non-diegetic versus diegetic sound within that. And I just thought that was such a smart, smart, piece of filmmaking and composing on that part. Um, now, it's not to say that it has its flaws and fundamentally it does follow the typical tropes of, tropes of Bollywood cinema, which is everybody overthinks and overtalks everything. And that is something that we will never get over. But the fact that you do have characters saying out loud, okay, let me think. It's like, no, don't think. Just show me what you're going to do next. Don't tell me what you're going to do. Just do it. And um, there were moments where they just did the visual storytelling and they didn't have to have the dialogue within it. Um, and I appreciated that. I loved the fact that even on stage, the executive producer said that the villain uh, of the piece was very much bringing back, um, you know, the history of those types of villains that were portrayed within those stories, but in wars, and then bringing them into the Star Wars canon. I loved the fact that it was an old woman in disguise as a Jedi. And if I'm being really, really honest now, there were moments where I had this, because uh, when I first watched it, I was like, that's my grandmother. That's my mother. And the fact that, you know, two sabers out of a, well, out of a walking stick, I just thought, how dope is that? And there are people that look like me being badasses within this and I thought by the end of this I thought what a wonderful adventure to have a train sequence a chase sequence a speeder bike sequence a horseback rate thing a, a lightsaber fight a, com a, a conversation about the force and the fact that the temple is like a traditional Hindu temple within all of this I just thought it was so smart so well thought out and then by the end of it all I shed a tear at the moment when one of the best lines not just in this episode but in movie history was then delivered by the brother when he's saying goodbye to his sister and it was simply may the force be with you and lads I have no problem saying this but I, I shed tears man like by the end I was just like this is it. This is what Star Wars is, but this is what representation can be done with handled with care and 
handled with such beauty and grace and um so much of my own culture yes but my mum's culture my grandparents culture was represented within this and i just thought it was beautiful absolutely beautiful yeah i mean i mean i can't obviously speak from from that perspective but i have to agree that it was a beautiful episode to watch and when we got to see uh, the footage and, and some of the stills at the panel, I also said to you, Rob, that this is one I am really looking forward to just from a, a visual standpoint. Um, and from a visual standpoint, yeah, I I think this is very akin to Clone Wars on the Bad Batch in a similar animation style. Still not quite the same, but it's like almost dabbling within that sort of legacy. Like you said, Rob, the different type of textures and stuff. And it's really interesting that you mentioned like it could be like an episode of of the Bad Batch or the Clone Wars because I was even kind of imagining that you could easily have the Bad Batch visit this planet and like help out these two kids on this adventure and it would just work, you know? All they've done, all they've done is just remove like the Bad Batch from a Bad Batch episode and it's the kind of the same thing. Um, and as I said before about this, Visions is kind of like, it's not about making it feel like Star Wars because it's about what this culture's take is on Star Wars. This is actually the one where I was like, "You, this is Star Wars. This you could just fit in a new hope, right? You know, as I, I'm watching, we're on a desert planet, you know, we're having train heists. It feels like a Western, you know, um, it's got this uh, grimy, gritty, used universe feel to it, to all the, the outfits and the, 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 the train and, you know, the fact that you have the different aliens you know all, all different styles which very much goes back to george's vision in the cantina and stuff like that it just felt so star wars and then obviously cool guy cool guys with red blades and some cool purge troopers and stuff like that um children you know having a purpose or having a destiny and fulfilling that it is very much star wars and uh, this you could have this in star wars it's canon like to me in a sense this is my head canon this one the bandits of go like because there's nothing in star wars that contradicts where that this could actually be canon um so yeah everything thematically about this you know it, it it's not doing anything groundbreaking in terms of um things we haven't seen before in star wars you know and but it doesn't need to you know it, it's it's just doing it through a, a new lens through the lens of this culture um, and I think that enough stands on its merits, you know. Um, but yeah, I I did get a big uh, kick out of that, like sort of the Raiders pirates running after. Uh, and even when they were sort of like shouting, and that all the sound effects and stuff was so great. Um, and yeah, the music as well was just fantastic. Like uh, Dave knows I have a fixation on, on vocals that go, you know, <laughs> you're going to dune or the wonder woman theme and stuff like that i just i have a i don't know i just love that sort of vibe of like middle eastern meets sort of mediterranean type of sort of vocals and, and music and and also going to indian with that sort of uh, type of high vocals uh so yeah i was a huge fan of this one absolutely love this one one of my favorites of the of the entire volume i'd say but dave i throw it to you what did you think of this one well, yeah, like you guys have said with the previous episodes, I think, you know, what I think, yeah, one more can I really say on um, on this one, which you guys haven't al already said. This was definitely one which I was looking forward to more than other shorts by just like the trailer and stuff like that. Like you said, they had that shot of the old lady with the lightsabers in the trailer. I was like, that is badass. That is cool. And it's exactly what I want from a kind of like 
Jedi survivor style story and, you know, kind of showing other cultures, but also it feels intrinsic to a kind of Jedi story because there is that kind of like influence from, you know, that part of the world on the Jedi as well. And I think the characters even like Shakti and, you know, like Ahsoka, etc. And we've even had um, what's uh, Kanan's master. Um, Depa Belaba. Yeah, like, you know, she's obviously like very inspired uh, by that sort of part of the world. So I think that it felt right in that sense. Um, and I think, yeah, it was... So I was looking forward to it in the sense of it, it looked very rich on culture and like heritage uh, but also what I was saying before the fact that like you know this could still be a story within itself but it's just peppered with Star Wars it's, you know and it's a classic story of you know brother looking after sister which I think you know is always going to sort of pull at the heartstrings um, and I think you know plays differently I suppose if it's like brothers or sisters you know like a brother and a sister is always going to be very different you know it kind of reminds me again when we were talking about ghibli earlier of like grave of the fireflies or something like that um and yeah i think it also speaks to kind of like what i think are the right story choices when you're doing these kind of stories i think there's interest in like i said season one very much went down like the empire and all the characters are like either some like really evil old person or like a Darth Vader kind of similar character was here they're like oh let's do like an inquisitor etc and you know I've said before I've got a lot of problems with inquisitors but w what I like when they're done right similar to what is in the Sith is when they're just used as a representation of evil and there isn't this kind of like oh they're this like big like silly character you know that the fact that like in the Ahsoka short in, in Ahsoka short in Tales of the Jedi that they're just used as a kind of like representation of like that sinister force that's like chasing after you and here i don't mind the fact that he's playing a kind of mustache twirling villain literally uh, yeah. Yeah. big mustache literally, yeah. <laughs> exactly great great mustache but great the fact mustache that, game yeah yeah the fact that he's like that's the idea of the character but there's no idea again of like you know jedi fallen orders has done that all like oh they were a jedi you know they've been like tortured etc we've done that kind of thing that's why I didn't feel like maybe it worked as well with someone like Reva. Whereas here, I think it's like, yeah, this is perfectly fine. I'd love to see, like, you know, you were saying about Canon Jake. I'd love to see the Inquisitors all lined up and this guy just be stood there like, yeah, Vader, in, you know, in hired this man. But I like the idea that they would just hire kind of like, I don't know, dickheads from different galaxies, <laughs> etc. Maybe somebody who has got like a rich family who's like a part of the Empire. And he's like, yeah, give me a lightsaber and I'll, I'll be your Inquisitor if you want me to. Um, and I think, yeah, it's just the fact that, as you guys said, it was a lot of the fun stuff, like, you know, the rebels and the train, um, the visuals were very interesting. And this was the first time I felt I was watching 3D animation, which was strange as well, because season one, you've obviously very much felt like you were watching traditional 2D anime here. You know, we've had things like Sith, etc. cetera. Um, but again, it, it doesn't come across as like, traditional 3d animation if you will and i think here it even seemed like oh did they borrow some of the models from like clone wars because the fact that like even some of the species i appreciated the fact that i was like oh they got like the fish guy from clone wars from that like one ventra storyline okay so it wasn't the fact that they just went the typical ithorians and you know like uh all of those kind of aliens um or rodians the fact that it was like the um was the Jedi guy who was um, 
in Kenobi when he was like sealed in the oh Terra Sanube. Yeah, so you had like his species, you had like the fish guy, you had like loads of dif- different types of aliens. But again, they looked like the Clone Wars models, so I don't know if they just used them as reference or they were literally like, here's the files, <laughs> because you have like very similar looking animation. But yeah, I thought it suited this kind of project. Um, it was very colorful, which was very strange and made me realize how not so much dark, but like lacking in bright colors Star Wars animation has been. Like we've never really had something which has had like, oh, a blue sky, <laughs> no, literally like very blue. I, I I would say maybe Rebels. Bad, Rebels yeah. does have that. It's because yeah, Clone Wars and Bad Batch. But then you're when you think about the era, it's a dark era. So. Yeah, but I think even in the fact that like even with Rebels, I feel that there's still like a mutedness to it. I think you know like you look at their costumes and stuff. There's kind of like a the Ralph McQuarrie kind of like washed away kind of color palette. Here it very much was like pinks and like really like if they're in the desert, it's not like a a cream desert it is orange you know and it's very like popped out sort of colors and it was just crazy to see it was almost like watching like a pixar sort of animation at times as well so i thought that that was interesting it was just fun to see something different as i was saying with the you know the dancer episode and yeah you know the fact that that old lady is a jedi was just awesome i fully buy that she could be a jedi you know even that kind of like styling of like you know the indian Hindu sword dress, you know, seems to fit with the Jedi. The piercings um, as well, I thought was really yeah, cool. Yeah, and also I'm all all here for like more badass old lady Jedi. You know, I don't know how we, how old Jocasta knew. Yeah, exactly. I don't know how old we want to consider Yaddle, but I'm considering this now in the canon of like badass Jedi women who've like appeared in animation in the past like year or so, uh, which is you know really fun. Um, and yeah, she, you know, she held her own. She defeated him, which I thought was great. The fact that the death was quite dark as well. Like the fact mm. she had like, cut his throat and he like carried on speaking. And something I think is interesting in all of these. I think, Rob, you're absolutely right about the like, may the force be with you. Because I think even in like the sequels and stuff, you're kind of like, oh, it's, you know, they just said that because it's a given or, or the whole, like I have a bad feeling about this. But when it feels right and it feels earned, that was a moment in which I was like, that felt earned, well done. And I think the visions has been kind of like, they've used those lines sparingly, which is good, like the kind of, like, I have a bad feeling about this. So that felt completely earned. I think it's interesting how many of these stories go with the, like, yep, Jedi taking away their children from their families is a good decision. It's like, okay, it depends on the era, but it's it's interesting to me that they continue to, like, use that in a way of being like, all right, you need to go now, say goodbye to your family because you'll never, ever see them again. Because I, I would have thought some of these cultures would be like, no, we don't like that aspect. But um, mm. yeah, they, they, well, they carried on down that line. Again, but the thing is, if, if the Jedi philosophy closely links to Buddhism, that is very much a Buddhism thing is to, you know, to leave all sort of attachments behind. And oh, yeah. and that is very much, a, it's a more of an Eastern way of thinking than yeah. a Western way, you know. Well said, sir, because I was pretty much going to agree and say exactly the same thing, which is in tradition, that is, that is, and I also, I really liked the fact that this in itself, because you're wondering all the way through, why this train journey, why, where are they going and why this and why that? And of course, by the end, we realized that it was the brother's plan to ultimately let his sister go and be the Jedi that she needs to be. And um, I also want to just really quickly say that um, you mentioned already, Dave, that the violence of the the, the Inquisitor's death, um, but I love the fact that he underestimates that woman 
And he says, a Jedi from Golak? And then literally, as he's dying, a Jedi from Golak. You know, it's, it's, you know, never judge a book by its cover. That's the old, you know, that's, that's pretty much what that says right there. And also, and I, and I know I, because I have actually said to my mum, like, if there's one thing of Star Wars you need to watch, it's this one. And, um, the first thing she said was, I love the fact that they dance, they don't fight. And I was like, you're, you're absolutely bloody right. Because even in the sandstorm, when it, all that is going, which is a very clever way of basically dismantling all the people around them and, you know, to just make it a central fight between these two. But the fact that she was able to turn around and say uh, to me, um, so I can't credit this, uh, but I'm crediting her on this, but her to say, I love that that it's a it's a dance, not a fight between these two, uh, and you you get a sense of that, of course, with the, the twirling in the air and even the music as well. It's tr- treated like a traditional Bollywood dance in a way, and the slow and motion. I, yeah, yeah, and I just thought we've always said that Star Wars crosses many boundaries, right? And for my mum, who doesn't normally watch a lot of like new movies or new tv the fact that i was able to show her this and she was able to just go that's that's cool you know afterwards and to see her her represented in that way as well yeah it holds a very special place in my heart this one and uh you know i'll probably rewatch this one quite often i think Mm. Yeah, I, I don't blame you. I'll probably be watching this one often, with, along with Side Sith, uh, as uh, some of my favorites. It's, yeah, I mean, for me, I can't. I, the only thing I, I kind of want to say is little details, like uh, l- you were talking about the lightsaber fight. I would actually say, out of both volumes, this might be my favorite lightsaber duel, and they've got a lot of lightsaber duels in both volumes. So this is actually one of my favorite, just because of the the stylization of the fight. Like you said, it, I didn't think of it that way, but yeah, it did seem very much choreographed like a dance in a way which kind of goes ties into what the style of duels were in the prequels they were more like choreographed dance sort of styles which i know people had issues with but you know it's cool um uh, and i'm glad you mentioned the species of terra sinube dave because i wrote in my notes there is that uh that my canon is uh my head canon is that is terra sinube <laughs> and that he's hanging out there at, with the old lady and they're both looking at each other's uh, lightsaber canes like because he's mm. also got a lightsaber yeah, cane true, so he's yeah. like, oh you've got that model like you know i went for this one you know that's <laughs> so I, I i reckon they're admiring their lightsabers uh you know terra sinube's he's hanging out there before unfortunately one of the inquisitors gets him and we see him dead in kenobi yeah <laughs> yeah well rob any last words on this one um, I'll be honest with you. The fact that we've spoken quite a lot about this episode speaks for itself, right? Mm, I yeah. think, you know, yeah. the fact that, that there is so much to this that, you know, is refreshing, not necessarily groundbreaking in its story wise, but you know, it didn't have to be. As well, you yeah, mentioned. Like I said, it, it, do- it doesn't have to be. Yeah. So, so yeah. Uh, so yeah, we'll move on to the next one. So the next one is called the pit. This one is produced by Deart Shitagio. And Lucasfilm. So this is a collaboration between a Japanese animation studio and obviously Lucasfilm being based in the United States of America. Uh, But this one is written and directed by Leandre Thomas. So this is uh, basically what you said earlier. No, it was Dave who said earlier about The Legend of Korra where 
it was an American sort of writing team and production, t- uh, yeah, writing team, but it was a Japanese animation studio. Kind of got the same thing here where the Japanese studio are providing the animation, but it seems the story and all the themes is coming from uh, somebody from Lucasfilm, uh, specifically Leandro Thomas. So um, what did you make of that, Rob? So you've obviously... This is a strange one because you almost have worlds collide. This is literally crossing boundaries here where you have uh, a Japanese animation style but told through an American lens. So this is really interesting. So I'm going to be very careful in what I say here in that I loved pretty much what it was trying to do and what it was trying to say. However, you didn't need the Star Wars property in order for this to be what it is in this. You could have made a separate... So you take the Star Wars element out of this and it's essentially about... Um, alienation and imprisonment, wrongly imprisonment, and slave labor, you know? Now, we also said this with Screech's Reach as well, this notion of adding the Star Wars property to this to add an extra depth to it, but also make it more, probably more accessible to a larger audience. And more marketable. And more marketable, absolutely. Now, in the last episode we talked about um, it being potentially like a lost episode of say the bad batch or clone wars. Right. For me, this almost felt like um, someone had watched Andor and gone, okay, I can tell this story, you know, because there are elements to this story and the themes in which it's trying to, uh, in which it is telling, which felt like an Andor episode, especially the moment the, 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 the episodes when they're in the prison in Andor and there is so much I absolutely respect about the creators of this particular episode it's clearly got a statement it wants to say I don't know if they fully succeed on that that's the only thing I would say um, about this now we talked about the violence earlier we see blood we see gunshots we see stabbings for me the most horrific moment I got to see in all of Star Wars visions was seeing a young child, a young adult child, being thrown from one part of the of the top of a pit and thrown back down, which is like, let's say, 100 feet, maybe, maybe less than that. And we don't need to see it land. We just hear it and we see the reaction. That's cinema in a nutshell, right? And it's so powerful and so heartbreaking to see um and without going too full into into the extent of this but i i see it it's what i see there's clearly some racial undertones within this as well um and i think what i really appreciated about this um was it wasn't so much about the vision side of things but it was more about the voice that was speaking more so and when it tried to round itself off with the visions aspect by the end of this episode, when you get to the post credit scene in particular with the spray paint on the rock, my biggest criticism was two things. One, did we really need that to hone in on the point? And the, there's always a yes or no answer with that one. So we can debate that if need be. But my biggest issue was it didn't feel distinctively different from the art style in which we are watching 
this animation being taken place. Now, say, for example, it had been like, say, just gentle uh, paint brushes or paint strokes, like in um, Into the Sky, where we've got those um, sprinkles of stardust as the on the, the on the rocks to tell those that story. If we had to say something like that, but maybe with paint or something like even with the spray paint itself, it felt too polished by the end to see it on a rock like that. And again, I, it's just what I've seen. There are clearly racial undertones within that spray painting. There, you know, I think about the the spray paints that you see in Los Angeles, which honor those who fought for um, discrimination, they fought for um, equal rights, they fought for, you know, um, equal pay. And even to some extent, the, the, the athletes that we have lost along the way, that's what Los Angeles is. You know, there is murals and spray paints everywhere of this. So I understand from that perspective what it's trying to do. Having said that, is it necessarily hammering home this point too literally perhaps so but that's where i i wanted to open up that debate with you guys because i found it very interesting that this episode and as dave said earlier i i did see the imdb rating of this and i think this is sadly the lowest rated one which i think is very unfair because i would much rather watch something and feel something about something which has got something to say than just have really cool lightsaber battles. And um, I also just want to um, shout out here and say that I loved the fact that it threw... Um, it's a very subtle thing, but I love the fact that, that you had this kind of 1970s cinema grain over the top of the um, animation itself. And even though it's implementing things like time-lapse sequences and... Um, um, the, the, this, the, the big themes of alienation within a sci-fi world, which is something that Blade Runner did so well. And the tears in the rain kind of moment at the end with the um, follow the light chanting. Um, I just thought it was a really lovely touch to make sure that they tried to tie it back within the, the original aesthetic of Star Wars, which was that cinema, 19, sorry, 1970s cinema grain within that. So um, as a piece of, you know, short filmmaking in terms of trying to have something to say, it's it's a remarkable piece of work. But for something that doesn't fully hit home for maybe a wider spread of an audience, I can see why a lot of people may have been turned off by this. But to them, I say, force yourself to learn. Yeah, no. Uh, so th this one is very much, I had a similar experience, uh, like if I'm watching Andor, when that was coming out, where... Um, especially after watching the last few episodes of Visions where, you know, they've all had an element of pulp adventure in them, you know, whether that be lightsaber duels or train heists or speeder chases or anything like that, you know, uh, an element of fun in there that we can all, you know, fist pump and go, yeah, you know, while this one very much was like watching an episode of Andor where, at, when I first watched this episode, I was like, I'm not too sure I, this is really hitting me with certain emotions and it's making me feel uncomfortable, you know? And I think it's supposed to do that very much like Andor. It's it's using these provocative themes, poking at you, shouting at you in a way, you know, literally hitting you over the head saying, listen to me, listen to what I have to say. This is, this is an issue that's going on. Um, and 
it can, that can be a barrier to be overcome, you know, and I think you have to be in a certain mood for that, um, which is why I absolutely love the show Andor, and I've, and I've always said that I really respect what Tony Gilroy and team have done, but it's not one I'm going to revisit often, you know, it, it, because it, it, I have to be in a certain mood to watch that type of storytelling, uh, and I think this is one of those volumes where I think if you just watch it once, I don't think you're going to get the full breadth of what they're trying to say here. This one re requires a couple of viewings to get into what's trying to be said here, what voices are trying to be said, what the themes are uh, trying to say about racial undertones, um, about slave labor, um, about uh, social injustice. A, lo a lot of different themes that are happening worldwide, but primarily in America as well, which I think you can clearly tell this is coming from an American voice, um, especially within California, as you eloquently said, with the murals and stuff like that. Um, so that it did, I actually watched this one more than the others just so I could fully appreciate it. But man, it was, it's tough watching this one. It is, it is. It, it, is, it tough is tough watching. watching and, and, and that's why it, 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 it's one of, it's again, it's a taste thing where I can't give it the full marks of what I go to Star Wars for because I ap absolutely appreciate what it's doing. Uh, but sometimes it just goes to territories a bit too heavy for me. And it's, a, it's just a weird thing with me that with sci-fi, I can go as deep as dark as you like, but when I when and I but I consider Star Wars more fancy than anything. And in fantasy, I just I, I there's a line of darkness that you know for me as a taste thing, I don't like to go across. Um, and, and it just took me that step further, which I was just like, this is it's important. I should be watching this. Absolutely, I respect this, but man, this is a tough watch. You know, I absolutely agree with you, mate. And uh, and I and. I would say this, would I recommend this for a child to watch, despite the fact that this is a child-led story as well, you know, from both the two characters. So I'm assuming the young boy is, like, say, in his early 20s, like, maybe 19 or something like that. Um, but then you've got the young sister um, who very much carries the, 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 the voice later on of follow the light um, could I honestly say that I would recommend this particular vision episode to a child? Probably not, because the themes of it are just far too adult for them. And it's not to say that they can't watch this. I'm just saying that I think... But the thing go is, in, it, go in, yeah. Yeah, it, 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 there's not... That's the thing, though. There's not even enough visually, I would say, there for a younger audience. Sure, you know? You sure. know, it, 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 like it doesn't have the thrill aspect of Star Wars, which that that's the thing. What Clone Wars and the Bad Batch does very well is that it's talking about really deep and serious themes, but it's got a coating of pulp adventure so younger audiences can still enjoy it, you know, which this doesn't have. So do you, do you see what I mean, though, about this being taken away with, you know, if you took Star Wars out of this... This would probably be winning, like, best short film at the Oscars type thing. No, yeah, totally. Totally. Well, what do you think of this one, Dave? The pit. Yeah, I don't know. I have a lot of reactions to what you guys are saying as well, because I, I, you know, I agree with a lot of it, maybe disagree with some, but that's more just in terms of, like, the comparisons, I think. Um, and I think it is interesting to think of it in terms of, like, viewing it from, like, a younger audience perspective, because I didn't view it in that way, because I also thought throughout this entire thing, you know, in all the visions, is it, like, it's like anything these days, you know, when I saw a lot of the animations, maybe something we'll get onto with the last one is that, you know, a, it, it's a sad thing that 
children might not, as I was saying with things like what used to be made back in the day in terms of like the style of animation and the different types we used to get when we were kids. And I don't know, I'm not a baby, so I don't watch show like kids TV all the time. But from what I've seen from afar, you know, it, it very much is dominated by 3D animation and very like sort of easy to do 2D animation. So I was kind of like, you know, I'm sad to think that they don't, you know, back when we were young that there was, or even when younger than, you know, generations before us, there was like puppets and stop motion animation and stuff like that. Um, so I think that to me, I was, you know, watching Visions thinking like, well, would this be an entryway for kids to see more of this, you know, these different types of animation style, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but then at the same time, I'm watching it through the lens of like, you know, Star Wars fans are watching this, animation fans are watching it, and there's going to be that more adult nature because, you know, similar to something like Spider-Verse, you know, would I say Spider-Verse is like a children's film? You know, like similar with Guardians. When I watched Guardians, I was kind of like a bit, felt a bit uncomfortable with some uh, scenes during that because there was actually children sat around me and I was like, this is very dark for for very young children. Um, and I think that just speaks maybe to the type of content we're getting these days in terms of like things are going more dark and whether kids should be watching that, etc. Um, when I think back to when I was young, I remember the Prince of Egypt, I had that on video and I was like, this is boring, turned it off. And like, you know, I don't want to see like, you know, people getting attacked by locusts and like blood through the streets and stuff. It's a very dark film. When I'm like an adult and I've watched that film, I'm like, my God, this is an animation masterpiece. But as a kid, I was not interested in it at all. You know, like religion, go away. <laughs> I was, I, I was going around the house singing, let my people go. <laughs> Interesting, <laughs> considering what you just said about pulpy stuff. And that's why I would disagree is that I, I, I think it's a disservice to Andor to compare this to that because I don't think Andor is just a kind of one note, we're telling this thing about protest test i think it does work on a lot of different levels there's yes there's not the kind of like pulpy fantastical element to it but i think that there's a lot of like kind of thrilling moments there's a lot of like great set pieces you know like very much like huge scale a lot of like epicness of sci-fi law character interaction and i think that that speaks to why this doesn't work quite as well it doesn't stand out is because that it, it's just that it is like, I think that's why it's a disservice to compare it to Andor in that sense. But I think like what Rob was saying, I can see how this would be like taking inspiration from something like Andor um, and it, it, it commentating on something more than just one thing. Like, I think that here, like you said, if it's going for that one message, that's fine. Whereas I think Andor, again, there's so many different characters and yes, you know, like even if you take the prison thing, for example, that is very much going down a dour, like this is what we're like saying with this but at the same time there is still the like one way out and you know like there's lots of things for people to still grab onto and and that work in that scenario whereas again i think this is because there isn't any action or anything like that it literally is like oh it is just that like it is just one way out with or just no escaping you know no way out with nothing else it's just that message on its own so i respect the hell out of it i think that it was very powerful um I like the ideas of it, but I also think that this is to contrast to what we were saying about with the spies one. Um, it is one that's let down also similar to um, Journey to the Dark Head in which I didn't feel that its visuals complemented enough of what it was saying. I felt if there was something visually different about this, if this was like stop motion, if it was, it didn't look like a kind of, I don't want to say generic, but if it looked like a kind of like run-of-the-mill kind of like anime or like western sort of animation 
then it might have been able to stand out a bit more, similar to, again, like how other animated projects have in the past, in which they're telling a very simplistic story, but it's the fact that, like, it's told in this, like, kind of, like, unique art style or this, like, um, form of animation that it kind of stands out and it kind of adds to the message, whereas here I didn't feel that the visuals add into anything to what they are actually saying. Um, take, for example, like you were saying about with... Um, in the stars is kind of like the kind of like aesthetics of that add to the story that they're talking about the kind of malleable uh natural feel to that story kind of adds to the storyline that they're telling so i think that there that very much was a story which was kind of very much built on like themes and uh like a kind of dour storyline but this in contrast to that i think just like doesn't have as much going for it um, so yeah, I, I respect the hell out of it. I think it is very impactful. Um, and I think that the, yeah, the darkness and the bluntness of just like, yep, just throwing down the pit is very powerful. Um, and I came away from it kind of appreciating it as this kind of like darker, more adult story. Um, and again, I was glad that we didn't get another Jedi thing. Yes, there's the Kyber crystal thing and she looks at the crystal at the end, but largely I saw this as a kind of more rebellion, kind of like opposing the empire uh, storyline and again as i said before something which as rob said is you could take the stars out of this and it would work on its own it could be an oscar winning short so i i do appreciate that element to it um some people might say well why bother doing a star wars thing at all um but i think the the way they could have done it is maybe if they just did something more than just the light i think the light is just a bit too vague i did like elements of it i think it does work towards the larger sort of lessons of star wars like when he's climbing up the pit it's almost as if like nature is helping him out in that way and sort of that bond with with nature and and creatures and that kind of thing and having faith that people will do the right thing i think that is a nice message but they could have almost just focused on that and not bothered with the light and not involved the force at all they could have said like gone down the andor route a bit more and gone like people are nice nice people i hope and like they'll help us the light thing is almost got like a religious undercurrent which is yes going to be tied to the jedi and as we've said before jake i think we were discussing not long ago you know it's, it gets a bit messy depending on your reading and your relationship with religion but there is a bit of that kind of like ickiness of religion for me with that of the like the, the idea of like well god will save you and like follow god and if you like do right by god he will reward you it has that element to it that, that it has you take that's what you take slightly it, i didn't yeah. think of it when watching it but when i was thinking about it afterwards i did like when you guys were discussing i was like and there is an element of that there um but only because it's just so simply put of just follow the light and i'm like this is only what i can sort of draw from what you're trying to say here i think if there was a bit more about like humanity and and having faith in humanity and a bit more like showing the people like fighting against the empire or something that might have come through a bit more but yeah respected it but maybe just not bold enough or uh, different enough yeah i know i i see where what you mean and with the angle you're coming from i didn't particularly take that reading personally i saw it as more i i thought they did enough for me to accept that follow the light was just be a good person, you know, sort of thing. I, I, I got, I got that vibe. So yes, maybe a bit more development would have helped, absolutely. But I think they did it. I didn't take it as like a bit culty. This, or no, <laughs> no, know, I didn't like, either. But... I that was just more. I think it's just because it's uh, it's a bit more empty and hollow. 
it's kind of like when you analyze it, that you're like, oh, is this what it is? Is it a religious allegory? I didn't feel that from it. And I think you can come away from it and not say that that's what I was trying to say. But it's because, like you said, because then there's not a bit more meat on the bones, you're only left to then say, well, is that what you're trying to say? And if it is, uh, I'm not sure how I feel about that. But, you know, it's kind of the flaw of the story that it isn't giving me something else to work with. I would also just quickly, just to jump on one point you did quickly mention, um, and I respectfully, of course, I think it's the first time I ever say this, actually, but uh, I do respectfully disagree on your point about the animation side of things, because you did say as well that the death of that young boy um, when he gets thrown into the pit is quite impactful. Now, but with this, I found it very fitting that they actually went to this particular studio and actually focused more on the human expressions that we get because i think the 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 expression we get from i i i can't i'll be honest like the one thing i would say really quickly is that i think the voice acting in all of the visions episodes are really strong but i think for this one in particular i found this one to have very strong voice acting performances in this and even from the smaller side characters as well well quote unquote smaller side characters within this um I found them to be very, very strong. And to have the expressive animation that you have within this, I think is really strong. And it also highlights your point that you mentioned, which is that moment when he's thrown off uh, from the top of the pit into the bottom of the pit, having just seen him struggle, we see the grit and the dirt in his fingernails and his him climbing up. You wouldn't get that in other form of animation, like say the, the spy dancer or the, the next animation we're going to talk about or to some extent, even Sith. Yeah, I think the animation was more, like you said, Rob, more focused on the characters and those expressions rather than hitting you with bold animation styles, I think, yeah. May not have worked for everyone, but that's kind of the choice they went with. Sure. Yeah. All right, so let's get into the last one, which is in visually completely the opposite <laughs> <laughs> of, of what we just watched. Now, I mean, so this one is called Ao Song. Uh, this one's produced by Triggerfish, which is based in South Africa, uh, written and directed by Nadia Darius and Daniel Clark. And it is an alien child who longs to sing, is raised by her loving but stern father to stay quiet because of the calamitous effect her voice has on the crystals in the nearby mines. So this one, you know, I have very little, the only actual criticism I have of this one is that maybe the final song was a bit underwhelming. I was maybe hoping a, a, a bit more of a, yeah, oh, you've got the same thing, Rob. But other than that, you know, I have no notes. This is just charming to the core endearing wonderful animation style like i don't know quite what the, what this animation style is so i'll go to you rob as more of the animation expert here uh and the on the the business and technical side of things um but i just love the texture that they created which i'm just gonna call um fluffy texture <laughs> you know because mm. you know, it, it yeah. almost felt like i was watching like you know like teddy bears or, or you know but like teddy bears in like stop motion sort of thing so i just thought it was really interesting really unique and from that first shot of you know that those vivid bright colors 
Um, like I said, you know, for me, style is a big thing when I'm watching animation. I need to be sort of hooked on it if I can get into the story. And this, from the first shot, I was in. Bold, bright, beautiful. And then it just tells, it again, nothing groundbreaking in the story. Nothing we haven't seen before. But just really endearing. A wonderful story of father and daughter and about being who you are. You know, your destiny, fate and all that. And crafting out your own destiny. Um, stuff we've seen before, but just executed really, really beautifully. Um, and, and again, I just can't get over this animation style. I thought it was just absolutely gorgeous and something I've not really seen before. So, Rob, I, I ask you then, what what sort of the, the technique and process behind this animation style? I think it is because for one thing we saw, um, so this was another example of the creators being on stage and talking about the process of it, but also they brought out one of the models and it happened to be the young um lead girl um anu au anu au yeah yeah like you um, you stepped on a lego brick like au yeah uh, yeah <laughs> i will i will remember this yeah um, <laughs> <laughs> i have done that many a time in my life um yeah no and i think it's a combination of both stop motion animation cross with um cg animation within that especially when you get to the really wonderful sequence of the kyber crystals i think it's probably the best i've seen kyber crystals being represented in in Star Wars for me personally, because there's a wonderful episode of the classic Toonami Stone Wars, uh, Stone Wars, <laughs> <laughs> Clone Wars cartoon about the Kyber Crystal Stones. There we go. Isn't that and, the other uh, project he did, the Primal, which is recently done? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh, oh, goodness me, this is kicking in. My my Jawa juice is kicking in. Anyway, um. Yeah, and I thought it was beautiful. I echo everything you've pretty much said, Jake. I thought it was um, beautifully made. I think the colours in particular are very vibrant. What I really loved, there's a sequence where they're driving on I love something. That. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're going round and round and round and round. But it's a classic trope of they're going fast, but they're not going very far because we're seeing like the background move ever so slightly, but they're moving so fast. And I just thought, that's... That's dope. That's so cool. And as you said, you've got, you've got this lovely texture. And I said this with the um, Ardman animation where you see the thumbprint on the plasticine. Here you almost see, like whenever things move in fabric form, you just see all that texture move around. And I just love that. I love seeing those little bits of fluff and, you know, bit, you, you know. It's, you can just see it's been crafted. Yeah, yeah, you can see it's just been crafted. And like you, Jake... When you get to the final song, <laughs> when you get to the song, I literally wrote down on my notes, I hope I don't sound like Simon Cow here, uh, because... It's I a no from me. Yeah, literally, I was like, do you know what? It's a no from me, exactly. I'm just like, this, is, this isn't, this is not the way. Uh, <laughs> it's, Are you um, saying we'll get some sort of Star Wars pop idol or something? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, I just... You know, when you got to this, I wasn't expecting like, look, I wasn't expecting like a TikTok crazed song to come out of this, right? I wasn't expecting like Let It Go or, you know, RRR at the Oscars with um, Nacho Nacho or anything like that. I wasn't expecting that, but I was expecting something with a little bit more <sighs> chutzpah, you know? I was expecting something a bit more memorable and a bit more like something where... You know, let's really think about it here. Something that could have 
really expanded across the entire universe to the point where it's not just purifying those kyber crystals, it's purifying the kyber crystals all around the galaxy. That type of feeling of, oh, I could play this on, like, uh, I was going to say a Walkman, but that was Guardians of the Galaxy in my head then for a second. But they could play it on, a, like, a radio, and it'd be, like, crossing the masses type kind of song. And we didn't get that, which... It's not necessarily a bad thing, because at the end of the day, this is a father-daughter relationship, as you rightly pointed out, Jake. And you've got this lovely design, who we didn't get to see enough of her, but I would have loved to have seen more of that character, the Jedi Knight. Mm. Um, I love the fact that, also, <laughs> the only time a lightsaber is used is to climb down a mountain, and I just thought that was wonderful as well, just to slide down, not even to, like, you know, chop anything in half. It's just to... I can't, I can't get there quick enough, so I'm just going to jump off and slide myself down with my lightsaber. It's Great. a very Love Batman that. move, in a way. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's a very, very I'll use Batman the Batarang move. to, like, help me get down a building rather than throw it at someone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I loved that. And I, I literally, I think that was probably the only thing that I um, could criticize, really. And I think, unlike the last episode, this is definitely your classic bedtime story tell your kid before you you know you're tucking them into bed type um scenario where you're like oh there was these kyber crystals and you you literally pick up the child it's a teddy fairy bear. tale yeah it's a fairy tale you you know you're picking up the child's teddy bear and reenacting with it and that's what i also loved about um into the stars um as well because it felt like as if you know when you were a kid and you were playing with your action figures and you were like yeah and then this happened and then this happened with this it's almost like you're tucking your kid into bed and you're with your teddy bears and sorry with their teddy bears and yeah or yours yeah i love how we both went oh yeah, yours no, yeah no judge yeah yeah, yeah no judges, i got yeah. teddy bears <laughs> yeah yeah um but yeah a really charming bedtime story best way i can sum it up yeah yeah so how about you dave again i go back to the like it's interesting on the placement of these storylines because it's like you look at uh like the wiki description this might just be the person who wrote these but like Screech's Reach is like prior to the initial extinction of the Sith. So like they like set up the timeline of this and you're like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, this is a very dark world. You know, it then says a young girl named Dal works in a sweatshop. You're like, okay, yeah, that sounds like after the extinction of the Sith. And it's like when this one is just like not long after the initial extinction of the Sith. And you're like, this is not at all what I would expect. <laughs> after the initial extinction of the Sith is like happy, playful you know, like children's land, you know, it's just like, yeah. It, well, the thing is, I almost got like a uh, young Jedi adventure. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Like, mm. I could, I could easily see this being like, you know what? This takes place during the high Republic. Exactly. Yeah. That's why I would love, like, but that's why I love about this is the fact that like, I would love that as a thing before it, like not long after the extinction of the Sith and then show the rest of this episode. But yeah, this one really stands out to me again, similar to what we were saying about with the spy dancer, um, and also, I think, like, Sith and, uh, you know, Bandits of Golak is that all of them are so, like, visually interesting and different. And I think it's contrasting what I was saying before of the, like, there's the element of, like, whoa, this is so fittingly Star Wars and makes sense within that mythology, like, you know, the Bandits episode. But then there's also, like, what if this form of media did Star Wars? And that's why I kind of loved with some stuff in season one but again there was a bit more of a mishmash but that's why 
unpopular opinion, but one of my favorite episodes in that was the one about the band, because it was very much like, what if, like, a 90s anime cartoon did Star Wars? And, you know, it's very much like, it was just completely, like, not Star Wars at all. It was, like, rock music going on, different designs of, like, Jabba the Hutt and stuff like that. Like, what if a Jabba the Hutt space slug was, like, an emo? (laughs) It just was so fun and crazy. And to me, this kind of, like, is a similar level. Like, what if a kind of, like you know, childhood stop-motion style animation, you know, was also using elements of Star Wars. But I wouldn't look at this immediately and go, oh, Star Wars. It's just the fact that they're mentioning kyber crystals and Jedi. And I think, like you said, Rob, I like the fact that the Jedi had such a cool design. And it does make me think back to, like, George Lucas and Star Wars, in which I'm like, it is quite a Star Wars thing to go back to that person of, like, the essence of Star Wars. Well, this to me is the essence of Star Wars because something that isn't the essence of Star Wars was, you know, Journey to the Dark Head in which like a kid is just walking around like, oh, he's just got the standard like beige robe and and brown, you know, brown cloak in which I'm like, that doesn't speak anything visually to what that character represents. The twins in the previous season, yeah, like their costumes kind of match, you know, he had the white hair, the white costume, you know, and you had that very much with like the duel and stuff like that. Whereas I think it's just kind of, I know, feels almost lazy when somebody just sort of like dresses somebody in the generic Star Wars garb. Whereas to me, Lucas, at least even in the time of the sequels, was kind of like, Ayla Secura's got like a kind of short blouse thing on for some reason, and none of the other Jedi do. And then like Shakti has got like this really long robe, and you know, he varied it up a bit. And I think that, you know, it's the same here. I like the idea of like, oh, what if a Jedi had like a hat and like, you know, like a... It's just a different look, and it's the same as what worked in, like, the Bandits episode. It's not just seeing the typical, oh, yeah, person in beige robe and brown brown cloak. So I like that element because, again, we're in this world in which we're more free and we can do stuff more stylistically different, so why not do something like that? Like, do this element of, like, yeah, what if a kind of, like, adventurous-style character had a lightsaber? And, yeah, the style of it really, I love the felt, you know, element. And what I really did love about it as well is the fact that the opening of it a bit like what we were saying with um journey to the dark head but in a good way is like and if any of the series was to be like this we've seen it with projects before like um uh love death and robots is that i'm like i would want you know i would love a series of this like not to diss on young jedi adventures too much but this is much more visually interesting than young jedi adventures like don't get me wrong that show is very fun it's got a lot of great stuff going for it but I would much prefer my kids to be watching something visually enticing like this, not just another generic 3D animated cartoon. So the way it introduced the world and the characters, I was like, I want to know more. I want to see more of this. I could see this being a full-fledged series because it kind of exists within its own world. It seems like, again, it was peppered with Star Wars, um, which was the Kyber Crystal stuff. But I loved how they made a world around like, oh, they collect the crystals. The Jedi come and like heal the crystals. And these are how these characters operate. They got these little bridges. And yeah, I just saw like it just aesthetically was just really well planned out and really well realized. And this is like other ones. I'd love to see more from other ones, but take something like Sith, for example, which I'm like, no, I think the beauty of that works within its, you know, singularity. Whereas I think this one is would work as, you know, like to have more, see, see more from it. Yeah, no, I, I, 
I would agree in that sense. Like Sith, I would want it to be like a, a feature presentation. Like you know, a film a movie. or something. Yeah, yeah like so Spider-Verse. Yeah, so still have that sort of singular focus, but make it longer. You yeah, know? exactly. So we, so we can get more of it. But yeah, no, I, I didn't think about that, but I would agree this, this lends itself to having more little sort of weekly Saturday morning cartoon adventures, you know? Uh, the, and the only kind of thing I would add to this one is that the fact that their choice of using music and song where, and I only kind of know this because within my recent uh, uni studies, I've been studying one aspect of uh, music and protest in South Africa uh, and learning about the apartheid sort of regime and stuff like that and and sort of more about South Africa's history and culture. So in a way, I had a, a nice bit of background going into this and it, it did help me understand and go, oh, no, like there's a reason why they're using the power of voice and the power of song and music in this because it actually means so much to South African culture, um, maybe more so than people think. Um, and, and I don't know, uh, you know, if people know that going in. It's kind of like why I keep saying about how valuable being in the Visions Volume 2 panel was hearing from these creators because especially with the Bandits of Golak when the creator said, you know, we base this off um, a mythological Indian demon spirit, um, which, you know, if you're watching the short, you don't get any of that really implied. But the fact that th that's that's a little bit of mytholo mythological culture uh, a reference in there. It's nice to know that going into these things. So yeah, that's all I really have to add. Like, I would love to see more of these type of sweet little shorts. I think overall, with with the the time limit that these creators have had, I think they've done mostly a pretty good job. You know, in in trying to tell as coherent and full a story as possible. Like, yeah, there's always going to be challenges when you have this time scale. But I think overall, I think it's been a another success. Uh, from Lucasfilm in the Visions department, which kind of leads me to the final question. Um, and I'm just a bit cautious of time, so we won't dwell too long on this. But it's very simple, yes or no, in a sense. Like, do we want a Volume 3? Uh, and I would say, absolutely, I want a Volume 3. And I want to say, keep going more global. S explore other countries, you know, keep expanding, like, where we can go. Y you guys? Um, well, it's, it's, it's really funny that you ask about whether or not there should be a volume three, because I think first and foremost, yes, I think we should be pushing for more um, in terms of um, expressing more voices uh, in different cultures, uh, different storytellers, different filmmakers, different animation productions out there. And um, I have my own interpretation or so, so should I say vision of Star Wars that I hope to, get to a level at some point but in answer to your original question there's always a place for um the underrepresented and there's always a place for those who are seen as the voiceless and i think right now lucasfilm are doing a remarkable job of championing um those who are in that category at the moment and uh may that go forward for always forward and if you're against that change well guess what we're going ahead without you people um <laughs> <laughs> dave what, what are your thoughts do you do you want a volume three yeah definitely like i'm such a big animation fan i think it's really important and as you were talking to me off the podcast earlier jake you know is the fact that yes you could go, very much go down the route of like 
Tales of the Jedi and Visions and just like these short form stories uh, which are on Disney Plus etc which I'm perfectly fine with because you know it's that idea of like constantly pushing boundaries and showing like different forms of storytelling you know so I would want more of that and I think that yeah once you've gone global you have to stay global and that's why I said is that this has almost made season one look bad by you know only having one part of the world baby steps um, Dave baby steps yeah. yeah but you know I think that you have to carry on with that and you know, I would love to see more, but also importantly, carry on those different styles of stories and you can have different types of stories. I think, again, to go back what I said when they released the trailer for this, um, you know, I said it mimics this is, you know, like in Art Attack, this is an Art Attack, this is an Art Attack. You know, I said like, this is Star Wars, this is Star Wars, because to me, even when I think, yes, like Star Wars animation lends itself so well to it animation is such a great form of storytelling because you can be told certain things through visuals um and you can get vibes and everything just from the styling without you know which live action doesn't have um but when i also think yes there's clone wars yes there's the t the 2d one that they did for cartoon network back in the day but even aside from that you know to me i also think like if we're talking about like genre and stuff like that or what i was saying with some of the stories that stood out to me, um, you know, in terms of comedy, you know, it's the fact that like Ardman, for example, I was really sad to see that was one of the lower rated on IMDb. And again, like, what are people going into? Are you saying like, well, this isn't Star Wars? Well, what do you mean by that? You know, it's what do you expect from an Ardman Star Wars project? And so I still want to have that kind of like Ardman does Star Wars or like Ardman short with Star Wars peppered in, but also stuff that could potentially be in the Star Wars universe. I like that 50-50. I think that they should continue with that. Um, but I would also love to see some of this stuff level up. I would love to see a series, like I said, like based on our song or, you know, a film based on like uh, Sith, like something like that, you know, it would be absolutely beautiful. But more forms of animation, more different voices and countries, I think would be fantastic. And more genres as well, more variety of stories. I'd love to see stuff that focuses on different parts of the universe. If you're going to go with the Force, go go crazy with it. You know, like look at like the more mystical side, like they did with Clone Wars. Look at like ships and pilots. Look at like X-wings. Look at droids. You know, what, what about an episode where a bunch of droids d deserted in the desert? You know, like well, they haven't done that before. <laughs> but uh, well, no, if, I'm joking. If, I'm joking. If, if I could ask for one side of representation that i think would be hand you know beautiful volume three is go to somewhere in the arabic states in the middle mm -hmm. east somewhere because mm -hmm. you know or any all the way from morocco to even india that has a rich history and rich culture that you can tap into and guess what it's all takes place in the deserts so. yeah and like i said and i think that's why you know i was talking about that episode from visions volume one in terms of the anime you know band episode you know, comedy to me is a big part of Star Wars. I love those robot chicken episodes and those are as much <laughs> Star Wars to me as anything else, you know. And again, you look at a Phantom Menace, as we were saying in the beginning, Jar Jar, you know, you know, what is Star Wars? Star Wars is so ingrained in pop culture. Star Wars can be anything and everything. Star Wars is poo-poo jokes. <laughs> so, you know. But yeah, and I think, you know, robot chicken work there with stop motion, with the action figures and stuff like that. So yeah, bring on loads of styles of animation, more of it. And I would I would love to see either through something like Bad Batch, you know, a Lucasfilm animation or something like this, a level up as well to not just say, well, this only deserves to be short form and on Disney Plus. I'd love to see things excel. But at the same time, keep on doing them. I think it could keep going, going for ages.
definitely, definitely. All right. So it's a, there's that, that's the thing for me. Like I even I think I said it in the last episode. To do visions, it's almost it's not completely risk free, but it's very much. You know, much less riskier than pulling out Ahsoka or Mandalorian or Andor. You know what I mean? There's so much less pressure on this. Um, there is less budget involved. You know, that can be discussed whether that's a good or a bad thing. Um, but at the same time, I think, you know, you're putting it on Disney Plus that you know it's not going to have the audience reach that you want it to. And that's fine because it's for a selected crowd. Um, so to me, it just makes really good business sense because... To, from what I've seen from the general fandom, while not, obviously not epi- not every episode is going to vibe with everyone, I would say overall this concept after two volumes has been a bit of a success for Lucasfilm. You know, pers- pers- I see it as a success for them. Uh, and purely for the fact that we got to see cosplayers of these characters in Celebration. I mean, that for me says enough. The fact that we, somebody made a lightsaber umbrella, I mean, come on. Like that's that's respect, respect, uh, and ultimately that's kind of the most important thing. And bringing it back to you, Rob, with your connection to the bandits of Golak and you holding my hand in, in that panel, you know, that's a that's what it's kind of all about, really. Visions and yeah, keep making them. I say, uh, right. So let's get out of here. A nice meaty conversation as always on the Monday Lorians, but what would you expect? Uh, so Rob uh, where can the people find you online and anything you're getting up to at the minute so you can find me on at Rob Ailing Film on Twitter or at Rob Ailing on Instagram I am a writer director producer currently making a new short film currently developing not one but two feature films currently sleeps on the floor Uh, currently sleeps (laughs) on the floor because my bed hasn't been made yet um and please go fund the GoFundMe for Rob's, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And um minimum yeah. donation of forty nine pence. Yeah, uh, d- donate to my OnlyFans, where it's just <laughs> actually me wearing nothing but Batman memorabilia. Um, <laughs> There's yeah, no OnlyFans no. without a bed, Rob. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Rob likes it dirty. <laughs> Absolutely. Um but as always, um yeah. Thank you very much, lads, for having me on the show. It's always, always, always a pleasure and to just geek out and nerd out about Star Wars. And as always, may the Force be with you, always. May the Force be with you, Rob. Dave, yourself? Uh, Yeah, you can catch me also on Twitter at David Osgar, O-S-G-A-R. You can catch me on Letterboxd where you can see my reviews and uh, reactions to things like Guardians of the Galaxy and if you want to keep up with my Star Wars rewatch I'm kind of like updating my reviews and stuff on there as I do them uh, and you can also catch me on Well Good Movies if you want to see uh, me talk about like world cinema and finding interesting stuff with different cultures we've just had our Battle Royale episode come out so talking about Japanese stuff there similar to uh, Visions but if you really want to see like you know switching from like different parts of the globe then uh, you just need to listen to that episode or the one after it to see how we go from Battle Royale, the Japanese murder classic, to Thunderbirds from 2004, the live-action remake. (laughs) A classic of American and British cinema. (laughs) Check it out. You heard it here first, folks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, how, how, does that, <laughs> how, does that, how does that happen? How do you transition to that? Listen um, to the episode. <laughs> yes. You can also find me on the show, socials uh, on Twitter at SweatyJake and on Letterboxd at Jake Hart for all my film watchers. 
Uh, and as for the show, you can catch us on Twitter as well, at the Monday Lorians. Uh, and just be on the lookout because next week we're going to have another special episode where we'll be celebrating the 40th anniversary of Return of the Jedi. So, yeah, Dave's excited. I'm excited. Uh, oh, he's holding up his uh, 40th anniversary Return of the Jedi mug that he got from Celebration. Very nice. Very nice. So, yeah, we're excited to do that. Dive into that film as it is one of our personal favorites on the show. Jay, can I make a suggestion, please, for future shows as well? Yeah, what's that? I, I want the Ewok horn to be a, a, a like a staple of the show. So like in this in Disneyversity, they like they have a special where they like say like a little rogue character in a Disney film. They're like they deserve to go into the Disney Legends vault or whatever, and they go. Bah, 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 bah. But it's just with their like mouths, and I'm like, we've got an actual horn here, and it's actually bringing in. <laughs> Hold on to your what seats. Does, what uh, does this ladies. signify? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> it's like if you're waiting for a bus and somebody's like oh bus like, so it's like it's like some lame beep from a car oh i don't even know how to end that you know where to find and follow us yeah. so you can find us wherever but i can't i don't know how to a better sign off than that so we'll see you all next week goodbye <laughs> losers <laughs> Why does it sound like a Peugeot 206 that's like clapped out? <laughs> uh-huh.